0: Welcome to VLGA Connect. It's time for another In Conversation segment and we're being joined today by David Wolfe from IBAC, the Independent Broad-Based Anti-Corruption Commission and Catherine Arndt is joining me for this conversation. Hi Catherine. Hi Chris, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. And today we're going to talk about this recent IBAC report on perceptions of corruption in local government. This is where IBAC has talked to people who work in the sector to find out their thoughts about this important topic.
1: Indeed it is, Chris. So this is a survey that they also conducted in 2016. So they've conducted a survey in 2019. Uh, the, the respondents were, as you said, the administration of council. So it didn't extend to um, councillors. Although interestingly enough, that the findings um, from the report do um, relate to the councillor group, um, and we can certainly hear more about that when we speak to David. Let's bring him
0: in now. Here's our guest, David Wolf from IBAC. And it is a pleasure as always to have David Wolf from IBAC with us on VLGA Connect. Hi, David. Good to see you.
2: Hi, Chris. How are you? Good to see you again.
0: Very well, thank you. And we wanted to talk to you about the report that's come out just a little while ago from IBAC, uh, looking at perceptions of people who work in local government on uh, how corruption and integrity, I guess, is handled in the sector. Can you just give us a brief overview of how this uh, report came into being?
2: Um, So this report is one of our um, research reports that we issue periodically. It's based on a survey of participants in the local government sector and the questions we ask relate to what they perceive as corruption risks or real risks within uh, the sector itself. I think the important point is that, The findings of this survey come from people that are in the sector, working in local government and primarily the administration of local government. So unlike other external surveys, that's coming from within. So therefore, the findings are a real eye-opener for managers and leaders within local government because it's effectively your people telling you where the risks are. So if I was running a council, I'd be uh, scrutinising this report quite closely to see if it aligns with my risk register and my risk radar.
0: I know Catherine's got some questions about some of the findings, but um, just before we get into that, the, I note the survey was done in 2019, and you know we're, we're somewhat on from that, obviously. Should we be putting some sort of a layer across this, considering we've had COVID in between, and does it change the way you view what you're being told at that point in time?
2: Uh, really good point to make. So, yes, the, the survey was conducted in 2019 and it follows on our 2016 survey. So it updates the information we received from uh, that original one. And you're right, um, things may well have changed over the last two years. We've been in a completely different working environment and service delivery environment for local governments. And in fact, I think in many respects, we've become more localised. So people are more closely connected with their local governments, their local councils, than they were two years ago. So it would be very interesting to run the Aligning Survey right now. And we'll certainly look to run it. I think it's due again for next year, 2022. And uh, so the, the comparison of, uh, of the data will be very, very interesting from that perspective.
1: David, I did note that one of the findings in the report was that respondents perceived councillor conduct to be an area of increasing corruption risk. However, not, they, there was a perception that council's ethical culture had improved. I wonder if you could just unpack that a little bit for us.
2: Uh, me to, at the start, to say hello, Catherine, and it's great to see you as well.
1: Yeah, good
2: to see um, you. So, the, um, the it's a really great good question you raise. So, this is the first time the um, the issue of councillor conduct has been brought up by the survey. The initial survey, wasn't an issue, so it was quite a change mm-hmm. from the, uh, the the earlier um, survey results. Um, and 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 what that does exposes that the, the two levels within local government. You've got the administration and you've got the local, uh, the elected representative um, cohort as well. And often um, they're intertwined when people talk about local government, but in many cases they're separated because they are quite different in their roles and responsibilities. So uh, as a corruption risk uh, internally, the administrative staff that were surveyed raised this as an issue and felt that there were potential corruption risks for the elected class, the councillors, in the activities they perform. And a lot of that's to do with their um, interaction with people Um, outside of the business in terms of matters coming before council and potential conflicts of interest in those um, associations or meetings or um, engagements they're actually conducted in. Um, It's an interesting point because, uh, uh, again, there is that that risk, that ongoing risk. You've got the, the framework in the legislation that's there to guard against potential risks. There's complications with that in terms of the application of it and understanding of it. Um, but it was interesting, again, that the, that the administrative staff saw this as a, a potential risk for the sector.
1: Indeed, and it's certainly not inconsistent with other um, reviews that are out there. In, in fact, you know, IBAC is in the process of finalising the Sandon Inquiry and, you know, the, the matters at Casey, which related to some of those external, um, I guess, stakeholder relationships that, that you just went through. David, how does this report or, or how will it inform the cultural review process that is currently being led by local government Victoria it's an initiative of Minister Lean, and we've recently heard that they've um, announced a project team com- comprising Price Waterhouse Coopers and also two academics where do you see this report fitting into that
2: yeah indeed and, and, and in fact what I might do is answer the last part of your previous question about the ethical health of of councils and how uh, the perception was that it's improved between the last two surveys and in fact we we, uh, were quite encouraged by that and we think a lot of that work has um, uh, uh, that has gone on in that space with the representative bodies with local government Victoria itself and the integrity system as well that we're seeing a perception that um, things are improving which is terrific which is fantastic doesn't mean there's work to uh, you know, not, there's no more work to be done, but it's a, a really, really good improvement to see in the data. Um, going back to where this report um, has had influence, um, the um, the review, uh, the cultural review that you've just talked about, um, this report was certainly one of the um, the key planks in driving that culture review, and was certainly a reference point in terms of the issues that it's identified. Uh, and as I say, they're, they're, um, they're, they're, they're not really a surprise in terms of the issues, but they're certainly a good start point for any culture review around the ethical health of the sector.
0: David, with the uh, uh, the information that's come out of this report, I notice you've, um, you've reported against levels within council organisations and some of the findings um, or recommendations are targeted at middle management. Can you talk a bit about why that has particularly risen to the surface for you?
2: Um, I sort of broke the report up into two sections. There's the um, internal risks and the external risks, and the internal ones are really targeted at the uh, at management level. And then a couple of issues that come up uh, consistently within the local government sector and, for that matter, in the public sector more broadly is around recruitment and favouritism in those decisions. Um, mm. So that, that those findings are really uh, targeted at the, the managers that are involved in that, the more high-volume recruitment and how that process is managed. So the transparency, the fairness of it, and the communication of it are really, really important. Uh, we, we see it time and again, uh, particularly when you're in more regional and remote areas of Victoria, you've got limited pools of recruits and, and potential employees. So it's so important the process is, is run according to the policy for a start. But again, the communication around the recruitment practices are, you know, is as is, is good as it can be. Because often it's um, the unknown. It's uh, it's it's a a, a, a role advertised, and all of a sudden someone arrives, and it, the process to uh, have that person come on board is not well communicated within the organisation. So then, when there's that information gap, it breeds suspicion around uh, preferential treatment, favouritism, etc. And that we also focus on uh, the use of information, uh, conflicts within the workplace and um, bullying um, behaviours as well. So, again, that's Mm -hmm. targeted at that middle management level that are uniquely involved in handling those matters on a day-to-day basis.
0: David, I notice you don't separate out council types as in metropolitan compared to rural regional. Is that because you didn't collect that information? Because I wonder what that might tell us if you had that view or that layer to put across it.
2: Yeah, correct. We didn't. we didn't break it down on, um, on metro versus regional versus remotes. Um, it was broken down from employee tenure in the sector, so experience and role within the sector, whether they're in you know, back of house administrative, service delivery, remote working environments. So we broke it down into, into those sort of categories.
1: I was just going to pick up the um, the issue of recruitment that, that David spoke to, and certainly that's consistent with the ombudsman's report into Ballarat a couple of years ago. One of the things I note that respondents have indicated is, um, you know, they've identified training in education, particularly targeting senior executives and counsellors. Did the report go into what type of training um, the sector might be lacking at the moment, or is it a case of you know, more of the types of training that's already out there? What more can we be doing as a, as, a, as a peak body to support the sector?
2: So nothing new in terms of what types of training is required. It's more the maintaining of a focus on the training, uh, embedding it into uh, the process of a, an employment cycle of someone within the council environment. So uh, making sure the expectations, values uh, are well known in the advertising of roles then the the education of employees when they're inducted or councils when they're inducted in terms of values, integrity, policy and processes, making sure that it's an ongoing piece of work during the course of the employment within the uh, the council sector local government sector and uh, ensuring that um, the the, the policies and processes are well socialised, as I said, across the organisation and with the employee during their entire life cycle.
1: And and that's certainly something that's probably easier to control with the administration of council. Councilors, now that we do have the mandatory um, induction training, are required to undertake that. But beyond that, um, we we do have examples where sometimes it's difficult to get the councils back into the room to do some of that follow-up training that you've just outlined.
2: I think um, there's certainly been a much greater emphasis on that now than there was uh, when I first was exposed to the sector many, many years ago. Uh, It's it's something that's talked about much more frequently. There's expectations that uh, both the administration and the elected class are conscious of the policies around um, uh, particular functions they perform and the ethics that are required, the values that are required in the execution of that role. Certainly, the, um, uh, there's a focus on the, um, uh, the the Council of Conduct principles as well, which again is a, a you know it's something that's really evolved and strengthened over time. So I think that the awareness is increased, which is a good thing, but it's um, something that can't we, we can't rest on our laurels for for one you know, of a better turn. It's something that has to be continually reinforced uh, to guard against um, slippage. And now one of the things about the perceptions of corruption within the local government sector is. um, It's what people think, but they're generally based on something that's happening or has happened. So therefore, it can't be discounted, and it means that we have to be conscious uh, and guard against uh, corruption or improper conduct occurring again. And it goes to, uh, I think, when we started about, um, when we are talking about this report and the importance of it, it goes to the, um, the reputation of local government and more generally the trust in public institutions. We all know that that, um, that the trust in governments and public institutions is, is, is something that um, is uh, being, being challenged. Mm. And therefore it's up to each um, uh, council uh, to do everything they can to maintain that community conference, to maintain that social license with the community for which and the municipality from which they manage. So that they can continue to deliver services, um, uh, engage with the community, uh, encourage investment and employment within the municipality, and 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 essentially work for uh, the community overall.
0: David, one of the uh, elements of the report that struck me was this almost almost a disconnect between the officer level and the senior executive perception of how well up uh, how well set up the organisation is to resist corruption. Um, I thought that was a little bit telling. And I wonder what it says to you and and what we as a sector could do with that piece of information.
2: So that's not uncommon uh, for other sectors as well. Um, And a really good example of this. And I've seen it in many occasions when we talk about a speak up culture within an organisation. And often when you're talking to the CEO, or in some cases, the councillors, but certainly the senior administration, They're of the view that they've got a fantastic speak-up culture, that the the process is there and they encourage people all the time to come forward and talk about um, things that aren't right, even corruption. Um, And then when you engage down into the organisation, you find it's a completely different story. And, in fact, there's a recent example where uh, a council uh, came to us and said we've got a secure um, line where people can report it, they can do it confidentially and uh, they can let us know things that aren't right that's happening in the organisation. And we thought that's fantastic. And then when we delved into it a bit deeper, we found that no one actually monitored that line. So there were recorded messages from up to 18 months ago that no one had listened to. So Mm. uh, you can have that disconnect pretty easily. You can have a, a process and a system set up, but if it's not tested and it's not actually operational, then it's not going to deliver the outcomes that you require. So often we see that disconnect. What can organisations do to fix it? Well, there's a whole bunch of things that can be done. First thing, it goes back to your policies and your systems, get the processes better down. Then it's about the education of them throughout the organisation. For the senior executives of an organisation and counsellors, it is toned from the top. And, you know, I think every time I speak to you, Chris, I might use this term, but the leadership of the organisation is so important. Mm. So you can't expect your organisation to act ethically if you're not acting ethically yourself. So, uh, again, that's something that um, we really encourage um, the senior executives to do. And, again, uh, talk about these issues, like include um, ethical decision-making as part of your normal practices. Talk to your team about championing uh, those that call out wrongdoing or poor behaviour. To the extent possible, um, if you have an example where you deal with a matter or person that isn't acting according to the organisation values, then let the rest of the organisation know when you've dealt with it to the extent you can. So there's some simple things you can do to bridge that gap in, in um, the or the, the perceptions of the senior executive and the rest of the
1: organisation. It's so important what you say there, Dave, and, of course, it starts at the councillor level, doesn't it? And that's why the code of conduct is so important and the, the actual culture and, and I guess, uh, role modelling that the councillors themselves um, demonstrate and then that's made even a little more complex with the CEO relationship with the councillor group and we've talked about that many times and some of the tensions there and, and you can see how easily then when it, when things uh, slip through the cracks at those levels, how the perceptions of the administration as you get further down into the organisation would be exactly as you've reported here. So how seriously has the sector responded to this report or is it still too early to sort of comment on that?
2: Yeah, probably still a little early. We've certainly had a great reaction in terms of the publication of the report and questions, how it's being embedded into the actual organisations and the way they're communicating the findings and, as I said, growing an ethical organisation, then I'm probably a little bit early to tell. But I go back to your point about um, the councillor role in leading uh, by example, and that's probably if I could could make one point through this vehicle and to the councillor cohort is always be mindful of how the councillor's behaviour is viewed within the organisation and externally from the organisation. Often I think that's overlooked by councillors, they might see their role as, as quite different, but They are seen as a leader of the organisation. They are setting the behavioural tone for the organisation, and it's incredibly important they're conscious of that and it allows the uh, employees of the the council to to model that behaviour. So I think that's incredibly important.
0: David, it occurs to me, and you may have thought of this, it would be interesting to ask elected representatives a series of questions around perceived corruption and integrity risk. To see how that aligns with the the organizational perception have you thought of that
2: yeah indeed so um coming out of uh, the results of this survey there was a number of questions we had particularly that one around uh the introduction of the um you know the perception around council behavior so flipping that and targeting uh, the councillors for their response was something we've considered and and may well do for the next survey and again those um those results would be um, quite illuminating
1: Mm, I agree, and that would certainly be something worth having a look at. Thank you, David. Uh,
0: it's it's an easy read, and I think it's required reading, and it should be required of all councils, audit and risk committees as well um, for, for that to be, uh, to be considered and have that risk uh, register overlay, I think, put across it. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thanks for David. And um, we will look forward to having you on a panel coming up in a couple of weeks, I think it is. Uh, along with the Chief Municipal Inspector, to talk about some of your observations of the sector over the past year, given it is the first year of a council new council term, and the uh, the role of the, the the agencies and where you work together. So looking forward to hosting you then, uh, and I believe we're going to do that in a live panel format, so that'll be interesting also.
0: Wonderful. truly look forward to it, Catherine. Very important topic. I think it raises possibly as many questions as it answers, Catherine, and it's that conversation that I think just needs to be had on an ongoing basis across the sector.
1: Yes, and that's something that really came through during that that discussion with David. Um, The need for this conversation about uh, embedding an ethical culture in councils is not a conversation that you can have too much of and it's one that we must continue to keep talking about, continue to encourage that training and development and we've talked before um, about the councillor group understanding that um, although they are elected representatives and it is the voter at the end of the day who determines whether or not they will continue on council as a person fulfilling that role which has very Uh, specific and important legislative responsibilities, there is a personal responsibility for councillors, for all of us indeed in the local government sector, to ensure that we're always updating our knowledge and we understand what it does mean to set, um, you know, and role model the types of behaviours we'd like to see in the sector from the very highest level down.
0: Well said. Thank you for that, Catherine. Always good to catch up with you and our interesting guests. We have more conversations and live panels coming your way from VLGA Connect very soon. Thanks for your company today and we'll see you soon, Catherine.